0: Welcome to Zero Trust 30, I'm your host George Wilkes and this is the show that helps you make the sense of the cybersecurity sensation that is Zero Trust. I'm joined today by Mr. David Holmes, who's a senior analyst at Forrester. David advises security and risk professionals about strategy uh, strategy architecture uh, and Zero Trust. He has presented at industry conferences like RSA, which is where we were supposed to be recording this one today, uh, but but life happened and, and we had to move on, so we're doing it virtually. Um, He has written regularly uh, for industry magazines on cryptography, malware, and the security community at large. Uh, Before joining Forrester, David spent a decade researching, writing, and speaking about cybersecurity topics for network and application security vendors. David, why don't you go ahead and say hello to the audience here so we all know you're here and human.
1: Hey, everybody. It's David Forrester. How's it going, George? Thanks for having me on your podcast.
0: Absolutely. No, we appreciate it. And, uh, it's great to have you back. Uh, congratulations on the newest addition to the Holmes family. I think your son is about six months. Uh, is that right? Coming
1: up on six months. Very good. Yeah. There's, we were just talking, my wife and I, she always wanted a a girl and in my family, for whatever reason, it's like 75% boys. And, um, I said, you know, odds are not looking good for the next one. I mean, if these are, (laughs) it's pretty far skewed toward the males in my family. I don't know how that happens, but, uh, but yeah, he's six months old, and his smile—I was just thinking this morning—his smile is like my sunshine.
0: There you it's go. The
1: best thing I could see. It can, it it gives me enough energy to get through the whole day just to see him smile once.
0: Well, you need those energy reserves. I was going to say you look very well, you very well rested. So, congratulations. I'm not sure if you figured it out or if he's sleeping through the night. Um, but <laughs> no, anyway, angel
1: of a wife stays up with him all night. Um,
0: there you go. There you go. <laughs> Behind the scenes, right? Behind every uh, right. every every uh, every strong man, right, mm-hmm. is an uh, even stronger yeah. woman. So, congratulations! You know, it's funny the last time we spoke. Um, what was it? It was May the fourth, and we were doing a webinar called Zero Trust. That's this is the right. way. That's and you right. came dressed as a Mandalorian.
1: Oh, I forgot. And it was about
0: hilarious. That. <laughs> and so, what I was going to tell the audience today, obviously, we can't see you, is that you're just going to have to envision that, that that David here is in a full Darth Maul sure. face paint, and yeah. he's fully in character. Well, uh, so David, what we're going to do today, uh, we're going to talk about the state of zero trust security. You know, get some perspectives from you. Obviously, you've got your finger on the pulse of the industry. Look back a little bit in terms of the past, where we are today, where organizations are today, and then forecast a little bit into the future. But before we do any of that, we like to have a little bit of fun. We play a icebreaker game called What's Bugging You? And so it's very straightforward, right? We're just going to ask you the question, what's bugging you, Mr. David Holmes, right now in life or the cybersecurity industry or ideally both?
1: Um, I don't have one that covers both, but I do... You know something that has bugged me for years, even before I came to Forrester, was that the term zero trust seemed to have been co opted by too many marketing departments. And yeah. we recently released a paper where we kind of called this out, and we said we recognize that that the term zero trust is gotten to the point where it can leave a bad taste in people's mouth because they're not even sure what that's supposed to mean. And, um, so we released a paper to try to correct this and it's called the definition of modern zero trust. And it's a very short paper where we kind of de- decry how we got here. Uh, um, and we al- also offer a short definition, a short, concise, shareable definition so that people wouldn't be too confused. Um, But I was reminded of this recently where I was actually doing a review of not a vendor, but an end user. They showed me their zero trust plan. And in the plan, it was just a shopping list of all the stuff they wanted to buy, much of which had nothing to actually do with zero trust. And I thought, oh, oh, that's funny. I forgot the end users do this too. (laughs) Take everything you want and then just jam it into this umbrella of zero trust. And, you know, I kind of pointed that out to this part, to the, this team, I said, I, I see what you're doing here and, you know, good for you for trying to get your budget approved and all this stuff. I just want you to know that I see it and I see you. Yeah. Um, and I have this conversation quite a bit. So, you know, I've always thought about, you know, is there some way we can kind of rein this back in, you know, but I'm not sure that you can now. Zero trust is so big; it's, it's, it's out there, and it's. I think the good news is that that um, people like NIST and CISA have we all kind of share the same definition now. Yeah. So at least, hopefully, there'll be less there'll be less comments like Zero trust is just a meme."
0: Right. Well, we can hope, we, we, we can hope so. Um, and I think you know, issuing these kinds of reports is a step in step in the right direction. Do you yeah. want to do us a favor and maybe give us that quick definition? Is that, is yeah, that possible?
1: Yeah. I'd be happy to. I'd be happy to. What a great uh, – so this is the first time I've done this in an audio form. So everybody who's listening, it's only three <laughs> sentences, this okay. concise, shareable definition. Now, of course, we could have written like a whole book. And there are books that are written on Zero Trust, uh, uh, one of them from – uh, Jason Garbus uh, is is just on my shelf behind me, but we wanted something that was short, concise, shareable, and publicly available. So you can see this on my blog. So I'll 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 read these three sentences and then I'll break it down for you. Zero trust is an information security model that denies access to applications and data by default. That's the first sentence. The second, threat prevention is achieved by granting access. By only granting access to networks and workloads utilizing policy informed by continuous, contextual, risk-based verification across users and their associated devices. That's kind of the big sentence. That's the big one. There's a lot of concepts in there. The third sentence you will recognize. Zero Trust advocates these three core principles. All entities are untrusted by default, least privilege access is enforced, and comprehensive security monitoring is implemented. And so I had said that that third sentence, you would recognize those are the three core principles that were originally espoused in the zero trust paper, yep. no more chewy centers from like 2009 or something way back when. So if you, if you accept, okay, that third sentence is just a restatement of the three core principles. And that really leaves two sentences in this definition that might be quote, quote, new. Now, the first one is very, so simple, right? Zero trust is an information security model that denies access to applications and data by default. All it's really saying there is no implicit trust. Yep. Everything must be done with explicit trust. The other salient point there is we, we would get questions like, is zero trust a framework? Is it a strategy? Is it an architecture? What is it? Is it all of these things? I put a stake in the ground and I said, you know, um, the original papers described it as an information security model. And similar to like in football or baseball where there's a replay, you you would only change the call if there was clear evidence that you should change the call. I thought, you know, right. what, let's go back to information security model because that still works. Even if you want to call it a strategy, that's fine. You want to call it an architecture, that's fine too.
0: Or mindset. And I think, you know, even like NIST, they've, they've put out the, uh, the Zero Trust architecture, right, ZTA right. And I think that just goes one step further that says, here's the general premise of the mindset that you need to, but then here's a reference architect, architecture, which is not supposed to be taken as you know, something you can pick up and, and, and apply one for one into organization, but something to refer back to as an example of how you can start actually deploying technology solutions and processes to, to, to bring that mindset to life, so to speak. I found it really interesting reading it that... And I loved how you you you've bought it full circle. You know the market could have taken it any which direction, and they have. And you brought it back to its to its origins, which I think is is the right thing to do. But then you've added a little bit of modern flair and context, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That wasn't available ten years ago when it was first authored. So kudos, very very well written, highly recommended. Um, we'll be sure to to, to to post it out on our end when we. Have it available for
1: us to share. Right. Fantastic. And, you know, you, you brought up NIST, the, um, story time here. The, one of the reasons this paper exists is I was, I was doing a, uh, it was like a podcast or a webinar or something with, um, one of the NIST people. And I asked him, like, I, I said, Hey, you know, the whole world had been waiting for your eight hundred two oh seven. 207. Like how was it to write that document? And they said, you know, the first thing we did was we when we sat down to write that document was go out to find the definition of zero trust and we couldn't find one, so we made up our own. And oh, wow. I was like, oh yeah. <laughs> they couldn't find one. Um now the good news is the definition they came up with, I kind of kept that off to the side when we did our definition. Not so that I could make sure they're the same. But because if they ended up diverging, I wanted to be able to to say why they diverged. Sure. But the good news is they didn't actually diverge at all. Um, I think NIST got it totally right, and if you look at their the way they describe it, it's like almost exactly the same words um, as we do. So, so that's it's all good news today, George.
0: Yeah, I mean at face value, I mean the fact that you can summarize it in two sentences um, and then you know outline it in three core principles, it is not. It is not as complicated as, as it can be made out to seem. and I think we've had this conversation before, even the first episode of this podcast we had uh, Dr. Cunningham on and it's not that zero trust is is hard. it is that change is hard, right and that everything, if you are changing a mindset that impact the organization is what is most difficult it's not it's not getting your head wrapped around what this thing is or what it isn't so like I said kudos for for, for putting a stake in the ground and bringing it first uh, full circle back to the industry and um, keeping it concise mm-hmm so let's let's dive into the meat of the today's podcast, then, right? So we're gonna talk about the past, the future, and the present of zero trust. So let's let's talk about first how we got here. And I'd love to hear from you, David. Like what stands out to you as some of the biggest tailwinds over the past couple of years for zero trust adoption? I mean, it has become so mainstream, hence why you needed to put a paper to redefine it for everybody. Mm-hmm. What's what's been pushing this particular market trend?
1: Sure. So if you think about that that definition that I just read, there was a whole bunch of things in there, things like risk-based and cont- yeah. contextual and continuous verification and users, devices and networks and workloads and all this stuff, right? And and when we talk about zero trust, we're talking about all of those things, which I think is one of the reasons why people can be hesitant or can look at it as a giant project. But yeah. But all that said when this pandemic started and everybody went home almost, it's almost two years ago now, right? March of
0: 2020. Yeah. Um, At RSA, I remember specifically coming back from RSA and that's when, when lockdown started going into effect.
1: Yep. Um, The, the, I was the, I was the, the analyst because of my network background. I was the analyst at Forrester who took all the calls from Forrester clients who were experiencing difficulties with their VPNs. Right, mm-hmm. and most of the time it was bandwidth related. Like everyone went home, and and was you know I had one one client characterize it to me like this. They said before they said we have a hundred thousand users, and before this we were ninety, we were five percent remote. Now we're ninety five percent remote, and wow. everyone's doing two way video all day, and our, there's we just don't have the VPN infrastructure for this. What are we supposed to do? Um, and so my answer to everybody was like you need to look at. Alternative, you need to look at a different way to do things. Use a zero trust, what what's called zero trust network access, so that you are you're not sending all of your traffic necessarily through um, your VPNs, and then because most of it's just heading back out to the cloud, and you know in the in those first early days, that's not what people wanted to hear. They really sure. just wanted to hear, "Please allow me to split tunnel all my traffic." And I told them, "Look, you can't go to your boss and say the forester guy said you could do this. Um, I'm not going to tell you that. I am. T- I'm here to tell you the way out of this is is ZTNA for yeah. access to the things that you need on prem, and then you and then figure out the other ways you're going to secure your remote user that don't involve you using a VPN." Um, and so in the early days, people weren't really excited to hear that, but, but they came around pretty quickly. I'd say within two quarters, the conversations were much more about help us select somebody. And, um, looking back on all of this, the ZTNA was an organization's first taste of zero trust. And how awesome was that? Right. They were, so many of them said, we, we onboarded like 25,000 users in two weeks with, Hardly any problems. Everything scaled well. Everything works. Our, yeah. our, I mean, most of the time. the Our users report that they're much happier. People are p- productive again, right? And I can't, actually can't think of a better outcome of all of the things I've hated about this pandemic, right? There has this, been this one outcome where many organizations got this taste of zero trust. What? And like almost anything in security, if you do it right, it should be somewhat transparent to the to the users so um, those kind of conversations have slowed down of course right because if you haven't solved your remote user access problem (laughs) by now um, you never will you're probably not going to (laughs) so most of those conversations have have quieted and i assume that many of the people have selected a vendor maybe with my help or maybe not or maybe they went and got the the ZTNA wave that we published uh, late last year, and you, um, yeah, go ahead, George.
0: I was gonna ask you, do you think that there's uh, maybe this isn't even warranted to say? Um, I'd love to hear if you've heard, you know, any any conversations with um, clients around it, but that because of the pandemic and the remote access initial use case that people have bucketed zero trust into this. Oh, it's for my remote users. Connecting into my on-prem, and that's the only use of use Zero Trust that I ever need to take consideration
1: for. Like, do we we get too myopic? There's been a little bit of that, um, because that was like the problem that they were trying to solve, and I'm, I was fine with. I I thought this is not the time for me to be talking about other stuff. Of course, you know, hard problems to solve. Like, let's get this one problem solved. So, whether you know, if you're asking, is that how people are going to view it going forward? Maybe Mm. Uh, there's been a few times where I could I could tell the person to pigeonhole it in that way. But I don't even think that's that bad because what they're really thinking about is I'm trying to provide access to a user based on their identity to a thing. So they're thinking in a very zero-trust way because of it, and I'm all right with that. But to answer your larger question, the answer is no, no not really. Um, most of the conversations I'm having today, like right now, are back to how do we do zero trust for all the other stuff? Now that we got the remote users kind of figured out, you know, what should I be doing for segmenting my network or well, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. So we're getting, I don't know how that leads into your uh, podcast sandwich that you were talking about with the half <laughs> drivers and the, what's happening. What's
0: happening? I think think it fits perfectly fine. I mean, you know, what you just laid out there is where people were VPN replacement, Mm -hmm. you know, coerced by the pandemic. Now where they're going, you know, and that's, that's very positive to hear is that there's more of this idea of now, how do I think about this a little bit more strategically? You know, I've, I've stopped gapped this one issue with a zero trust solution. Mm -hmm. Now, how do I embrace this, you know, for all users, all workload types, all networks, whatever the complexity of the organization might be. So that's it's great to hear. Um, yeah, you know, I've got to imagine too that you know, outside of just the pandemic, you had the executive order, you've had all of these different you know high profile data breaches that continue to hit the headlines. I mean, what you just had Europe the other day with um, a lot of the the oil companies over there that have been hit with uh, with ransomware attacks. You've still got implications of the Chronos attacks that, that that have that, that have been happening. Do you see that is a potential tailwind as well to to greater adoption. You know,
1: you, George, you just mentioned two. I think of the huge drivers right now. One of them is, of course, the what's happening with the federal government and the Biden yeah. executive order, effectively mandating that that the agencies prepare for zero trust. And then last week, last week or two weeks ago, the um, the OMB putting out the memorandum on. Well, here is the details on how you're actually going to move to zero trust. And I wrote a blog about this last weekend. It, huge props to the people who put that memorandum together. It, it is a very bold document where they, yeah, there's so much I could say about it. One is their view of zero trust is, is the same as ours at Forrester, like conceptually. And if you go look at my blog, you'll see the way the conceptual diagram from Forrester maps almost perfectly to their, um, what they call like a foundation of zero trust. Yep. And so huge props to them, but there's so much activity driven from that. All, like think of every government agency. I don't even know how many there are, but they all now have to come up with some kind of plan for zero trust. Um, and so that's keeping us quite busy. There's oh, sure. that. And then there's the other thing, which is ransomware. So out in the private sector, there's that's perhaps more of a driver is how can we contain this? And I I don't necessarily, we have other analysts who cover that, you know, for incident response and what you should, you should do, et cetera, et cetera. But obviously zero trust is going to be in there somewhere. And um, I'm working on just finishing up a wave right now on micro segmentation um, where that's my primary lens to look at this particular wave is around, how can solutions that purport to do this actually contain um, lateral movement, limit the blast radius, et cetera, et cetera, on a physical network? Because that's still where the problem—that's where the the biggest security holes are. To be honest, um, mm. is people's networks are a mess. Like, however bad you think it is, if if you go and look at it more closely, it's like even worse than that. I mean, that's not shocking.
0: You know, years and years of of different digital transformation efforts and initiatives and all that complexity just grows and grows and you end up with a significant amount of technical debt.
1: Right. And you, know, you know, I was listening to one of your podcasts um, and I can't remember who you had on, but it was a woman that she was saying that, uh, that the, one of the ways we got into this whole mess is by putting connectivity before security. And, mm. And that's been a theme throughout the entire history of the internet, I think. You know, when I look back, I'm, I'm old enough where I remember there was competing standards for what networks should look like and the protocols that they should use. And the yeah, I remember looking very closely at this new internet protocol. And I was a, I was a college student at the time, and I thought, there's no security in this at all. Like, man, if this internet protocol thing ever takes off, they're going to need security people forever. Uh and so I went into cybersecurity when I was 22 because of that realization, and was the only good decision I made in my entire 20s. But um, but it was that one, and and I think the reason, one of the reasons it won, besides the fact that it was you know, effectively uh, open, was, uh, I mean, open in the sense of there's no patents around it. It's right. not it's not from a particular vendor, et cetera, et cetera. Um, was the fact that it was easy to connect which back then tr- just getting computers to talk to each other was a huge headache. And mm-hmm. so we kind of ended up focusing on let's get, let's choose the protocols that enable connectivity quickest and fastest. And now what, we- now it's led to there's just an insane amount of implicit trust in networks. Um, and, the, and, and that's what zero trust is all about is like, how do we get away from that? And it's difficult to do without, it's difficult to do when the underlying network protocols are just so free and easy anybody can say that they own an IP address right anybody can say they're the default router <laughs> well and I think you I mean you even touched on this
0: in the um, in, the, in the, the modern definition paper is just and you said this at the beginning of the podcast that trade-off between speed and security doing things fast getting people what they need versus you know the security is always being perceived as the roadblock even the naming of zero trust doesn't do itself favors at times yeah. because the perception there is okay great yeah we're not going to trust anybody but then my business is going to come to a screeching halt and i think that's why you've and even in this paper you make reference to the fact that Some people are taking on these initiatives and they refuse to call it zero trust. That's like inside baseball, right? We'll call it zero trust because we understand it. But when we go to the end users and we go to the business, we're not going to call it zero trust because it's going to meet, it's dead upon arrival.
1: Right. And we actually make that recommendation that the people who don't need to know about it don't even talk to them about zero trust. It's it's probably not worth you having to go and explain all of this stuff. And in some cultures, the term in some cultures, trust is, it is a big, big deal, right? The sure. entire culture will run on the trust of personal people. And I have huge respect for that and those cultures. Um, And then to come in with something that says zero trust, it would have been better named like zero implicit trust or something. But, right. Right. And hey, we, you know, we, and we talked about, can we change the name? And we all agreed it's, it's too late, man. The, the horse has run out of the barn.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's the last thing we need right now is more names,
1: <laughs> right. more, names and
0: more, more, more names and more more acronyms. Um, okay. So back to the podcast sandwich, as you so eloquently put it. Uh, <laughs> let's look at the present state then. I think you, again, you alluded to this, maybe this unpack a little bit. Where, where do you feel most organizations are? And I know it's a hard thing to do in terms of generalizing, right? Because everyone's going to be different in their maturity, but if we've gone past, you know, people understanding from a remote access point of view, and they're starting to look at it more strategically present day, where do you feel these organizations are in their zero trust journeys?
1: You know, that's a great question. And this is completely unrehearsed and I hadn't really thought about putting it in these words yet, but in my experience, at least among Forrester clients who call me, um, that people are further along in their journey than they think they are, and that's good news. Yeah. And, and one of the reasons for this is because if you were to just look at cybersecurity as a as, as an overall discipline, and then you were to compare that to, say, a zero trust cybersecurity program, the two would have a ton in common, right? right? And One of the things they have in common is is having a much better, having better controls around your identity and access management and having that part figured out, right? And 15 years ago, that was just a nightmare. You, you you had identities all over the place, right? I remember at work, I would have to log into like 15 different systems, you know, and they'd be usually the same username, yeah. thank goodness, but sometimes it'd be different, but it'd be 15 different passwords, and, you know, all all of whom had different password policies, so you couldn't even synchronize the same password. It was a nightmare. Um, and we've gotten we've gotten away from that in the f- fifteen years to the point where nobody even really thinks about it anymore, right? Mm. It's, everything is federated using Saml or OAuth or whatever, and all that stuff works now, and that's great, right? And people are centralizing that in the cloud, um, you know, either syncing their Active Directory up to Azure or hosting it all up there. The, but the important point is we now have the ability to have centralized identity stores and then to chain everything off of that, right? That's a huge first step that even five years ago we were telling people, you need to do this, right? And then add MFA and SSO on top of that as like your first steps. Yeah. You don't have to say that anymore. Like that's done for most of the organizations that we talk to. And once you get that far, you're actually pretty far down the path, right? Now you're just talking about You know, if we're somewhat mature, like if we're a two out of five or a three out of five on that, what's the next thing? You shouldn't. We we don't recommend that you're trying to get to a five. You know, Carnegie Mellon Maturity Index on on unnecessarily anything, right? You get more bang for your buck if you go go for straight threes across the board, um, and maybe fours in some places where you need it. So once you have that that identity and access management part down then you could start doing things like ztna yeah right um, so people are a lot further along than they think they are the the hard part in my opinion is again the network just a vast wasteland of i don't even know what i have in there you know i don't even know how many printers i have and which ones are vulnerable to what and who can they talk to and all this stuff that's still the hard part so does that answer your question, George? Yeah, that
0: that no, it does. I mean, and, and again, it echoes a lot of what we've heard before is start with identity, right? And mm-hmm. get get your identity hygiene where it needs to be because that's going to be the heart of how you're going to define policies, right? On top of context and other other components. You know, David, I'd love to dig into that network complexity comment you just made. Would you mind unpacking that one for us?
1: So, you know, prior to last year, in our advisories and working with clients, we would have to kind of help them prepare. Okay, you're going to have to go and sell this difficult network zero-trust package to your execs or the board or who, whoever's holding the budget. Um, and it's a tough sale, right? And there's there's a great quote out there. I think it was a tweet from the accidental CISO or somebody who said, uh, network segmentation projects are where CISOs go to die. And what they were I think the spirit of what they were saying there is: it's a huge amount of work to do, with precisely zero business benefit. There's no, there's almost nothing that's going to come out of that except cost. You know, right, better security, but that in itself is not a business driver, right? As much as, as much as you want to write it as such. the the, the, the difference there is with ZTNA, right? Hey, my workers can't work. We're losing yeah. money by the minute. Give me a solution that that gets people's productivity back. There's your business driver, right? That's, that w- that was one of the things that was so fun about doing ZTNA research was like, hey, re-enable the workforce. Let's get everybody working in a new way and working better, and then you're back to making money. Segmenting the network is not like that. It's you know, you're not going to see just met you know, uh, the business cases naturally drop out of that. So we used to have. We used to try to work with people, and here's how to here's how you have to sell that. But we don't have to do that anymore. Partly because two things: one is the the Biden executive order. Yep. I was working with a government agency recently, and I started to go into that spiel. All right, let's get let's make sure that we carve out some time on how to sell this. They're like, we don't have to sell it. It's it's our our. Change it. Is telling us yeah. to do this, so we don't have to do that part. And I was like, "Oh, thank goodness, thank goodness!" Because um, that's the hard part. <laughs> that, that's a hard part in itself. Um, so that, so that's a good news. And then, and then I mentioned earlier the, the threat of w- ransomware in the private sector um, is, you know, you could look at it as, all right, we do have to bolster things up because just segmenting for better security. For its own sake, well, that's great. Um, looking at at your competitors who might be all of a sudden forced to pay millions of dollars, and thinking, "Is this going to happen to us?" Or maybe more, maybe more proactively, when is this going to happen to us, and what's going to happen when it does? Yeah, so we'd have to sell a little bit less of that now, but it's still a problem. I
0: mean, you could argue though; there's still there's still operational benefits with you know, a, a more modernized network segmentation strategy, right? Just, just in the ease of being able to operate into the future in terms of how you provision yeah. policies and give people access into certain, yeah. you know, segments.
1: Right. But, but just to make everything, you know, you have to remember, you can't look at these things in isolation sure. because very likely there's, this some half implemented cloud first strategy going where they were going to move all this stuff to the cloud. And then they realized they couldn't move half of it. Um, and they're stuck. They're like, "Well, we still don't know if that's moving to the cloud. Should we go back and resegment it or whatever? We don't know. We put right. that decision off until the new CTO comes in next year or whatever. Um, or we, you know, we have some giant infrastructure project that we're trying to get done. And I won't name names here, but they're the, you know, the big networking players who are trying to do the right thing with their solutions. But very often, in our experience, their their customers end up being frustrated." And not having the outcome that they wanted, and a lot of those a lot of those projects cost millions or tens of millions of dollars, and they have a lot of sunk cost in trying to see those through. and And God bless everybody. I wish you know I hope that they do get them working, you know, with intent driven networking and all this stuff. That ultimately would be zero trusty if it worked. It's just been such a challenge for those people, and so you walk into those environments where you have these conflicting really large thematic things happening in the background like cloud strategies and you know we're trying to do software defined everything uh um, right. and then you and then you say now let's do this other thing it's it's a, that that part's a tough sell too
0: so what's the what's the guidance then you would give to an
1: organization in <laughs> <for> a situation <laughs> like that you know you know um one of the things I, I try not to do is just walk in there and say, scrap all that and do this other thing. Sure. Yeah. Right. Because I know that that's ultimately not that helpful. And uh, just so without being able to blanket say, what do I do in all of these cases? I think in the last couple of ones I said, all right, let's, why don't you go and try to finish that project? You know, we looked at your timelines and that's ongoing and in, you're supposed to be done in a year. Let's check in in another six months and see how that's going. Right. And, you know, I'm hoping that they finish that project and it gets them the better network security that they were mm-hmm. hoping for, but then trying to be prepared for, you know, before that ends, probably in failure, let's come up with a plan for what you're going to do after the network is still the hard part.
0: So you still have a contingency plan and there's probably instances where if there are projects in flight, Mm-hmm. Keep them in flight if that makes sense, but then also find other strategic use cases yeah. that might be good
1: grounds for continuing to prove mm-hmm. the, the zero trust model. George, so getting back to your sandwich, you just started me thinking like what's the other – the so the future part, like what's happening in the near future? Yes. Um. So all of these agencies out there have to come up with some kind of plan mm-hmm. for their zero trust roadmap. When you go to build your plan, part of that is figuring out what's my, what's my maturity level now. What do I have in place? Um, let me do an assessment. So I think there's going to be a ton of assessments out there, and and there's different assessment models to use. So for example, I I designed the one we use here at Forrester based on the work of other analysts. Let me be clear. I mostly just put it together. Let's put it that way. I collected the shared brilliance of the other analysts at Forrester and put together a maturity assessment around zero trust. But I noticed that CISA has come out with their own maturity assessment. Yep. This is what optimal looks like and et cetera, et cetera. Um, so in my personal future, I'm going to go try to resolve these things. Um, and I think it might ultimately be additive. I, I haven't looked yet. It's like seriously super high on my list of things to do Sure. is, is maybe merge these, right? So that the maturity model we use is aligned pretty closely with theirs. And I'm hopeful based on what happened with NIST, the NIST definition and the Forrester definition, that these things will be mostly aligned. So I think there's going to be a lot of activity if people go out there and figure out, all right, here's what my maturity levels are. And you had already said this like exact phrase, like where does somebody start or or maybe you hadn't said that, but that is like the number one question I used to get when I joined Forrester was Hey, I like this zero trust thing. How do I get started? Like, I don't know how many times I heard that. It was one of the reasons we wrote the paper, a practical guide to a zero trust implementation was so that people could answer that question. Where do I start? Um, and we like, uh, like Sissa, we, we, we kind of create these operational domains of zero trust, users, networks, workloads, devices, data. Um, and then we say measure your maturity in these things with regard to the zero trust principles and and your overall maturity. And then if you do that, now you might have some, some set of scores. Like I'm a three in, in identity and right. access management, but I'm only a one in endpoint security. I'm a one in workload security, and I'm a zero in data security and then you can you can build your roadmap to try to get to threes and all of those in 10 quarters or something whatever works for yeah. you yeah um, or
0: prioritizing whatever makes
1: the most right you know, George, you know what the next grid. most common question is is okay after i do the identity access management then what what do i do right next? right um we get that question all the time and it becomes a little bit more uh, the, the advice becomes a little bit more bespoke at that point. It depends on your, you know, are you, do you have a bunch of manufacturing plants? Are you financial? Like, are you, yeah. you know, what's your environment and your threat profile, et cetera. Um, but very often we recommend, picks, pick another good, quick, easy win. Because, you know, if you're trying to do this whole program, you don't want to get mired in like the really tough stuff and then, you try to knock out, you know, for, for for many organizations, it might be workload security or devices or something like that where they can – you'd have broad visibility across the organization. Everybody sees, oh, okay, you know, now we all have this. We all have to do it this way. These people doing zero trust are – they're making a difference, right? And then ultimately what ends up happening is very likely you push the really hard stuff toward the end, and that's, again, it's the network. Well, and
0: then hopefully, if you push the hardest stuff to the end, if you're if you have the luxury of being able to do that, the more and more you get experienced implementing zero trust in these different areas, mm-hmm. it actually will become easier in the long term, right? And then depending, yeah. however, you know, again, I guess what I'm hearing from you is the network stuff is always going to be a it's always <laughs> going to be the biggest challenge. So um, yeah, I I, I, didn't, I didn't come into this
1: podcast thinking I was going to be saying that I'm going to be harsh on the network the whole time, but it it just came out that way. Sorry.
0: That's uh, fine. You're being a realist. I do I do want to just give you kudos and appreciate the fact that, you know, as you're actively pushing out your, your your recommendations and your reports and things of that nature, like aligning it and looking at NIST and CISA, I think it's really smart and I think it's really helpful for the industry at large to be able to not have so many competing authorities saying different deviations of how to do this thing because that just creates chaos, right? So kudos to you for for doing that. Um, being cognizant of time here, I'd love to, 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 just ask you if you have any parting thoughts for the audience as we've been talking about this. Like, is there any final, final thoughts from, from David home? Yeah,
1: um, well, first George, thank you for having me on and for awesome. not asking me any really hard questions. Um, <laughs> I guess I didn't do my job very well. <laughs> the, um, the, well, the questions you asked are the stuff I, I have to talk about all day long with people, yeah. you know, so. You know, happy to talk about this. The the, You know, part of the analyst's job is predicting the future. That's just, when we put out our research every year, when we go back and we look at what was the most popular research of the year, every year it's the predictions that we put out at the beginning of the year or or at the end of the the previous year, right? Um, That's what people want. They want to know what did the analysts think are going to happen. And this has been a very, very challenging time, this pandemic. Like I don't think any of us saw it coming right? Certainly nobody in the business world predicted this was going to happen. And then trying to chart our way through it, while there have been some great successes, right? You could look at the success of cloud and the elasticity and the fact that so many people could work from home and that you can celebrate that. The the, the question of what does the future look like now is very difficult to answer. And so I I recently reached out to another analyst of ours. He he lives here in Colorado, um, just about an hour from me. He covers the future of work, and I asked him, "So, what's the latest stats?" And and so this is November when I asked him, so a couple months ago. And he said, in their survey, sixty-five percent of people said they want they wanted to work half-time, remote, two to three days remote per week. So just call it half-time. At home, ten percent said they're never going back to the office, no matter what. Um, and then the last twenty-five percent said they expect it to go back to normal and that they would do nine to five in the office. But what that means is seventy-five percent of people are going to be at home half the time. Yep. Right, and so w- if everyone gets their wish, which kind of looks like that's going to happen. um that means that everyone's cybersecurity strategy should take this into account that if you're dealing with a bunch of knowledge workers 75% of them are remote at any one time therefore how you handle them must be they must be considered the first class citizen in your in your strategy and in the things you're going to put out there and what that ultimately means is more, more things like ZTNA, more cloud-delivered security services, um, and that's my that's my prediction for the future. But I've been so bad at predicting the future the last two years that uh, take that with a grain of salt.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think anything that you're saying there's that outlandish to, to, to believe though. I mean, you know the idea of hybrid work is is here currently. and I think people are getting used to it, especially when you're dealing with human beings and the way in which they work. It's, it's difficult to get everyone used to this reality and then turn that on a dime because you're starting to, to, to impact lives. And so I, I think that's a, that's a fair mm-hmm. prediction. I think it makes the networking problem you brought up uh, that much more challenging. Now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it does. Even more of a reason to start looking at uh, adopting, you know, zero trust principles and maturing those journeys down the road and and giving people who are working in in hybrid spaces, remote work, or even in the office, just better secure experiences, right? Because people will gravitate to organizations that that, that are starting to um, transform the way that you get your work done. You know, I think people are, are savvy enough now to know what it feels like to work in a good IT environment where you can access the things that you need to access on a regular basis and do your job and not be constrained by constant choke points and failures and bandwidth Mm -hmm. issues. So before we wrap up, it has been a long episode, so I appreciate you hanging in there with me, Mr. Holmes. We do like to play a fun game and I would be remiss if we didn't get to do it with you. Uh, We do a rapid fire question thing and it has absolutely nothing to do with cybersecurity or zero trust. We just ask some questions and you spitball the answers. Um, let's go for it. You can only eat one food again for the rest mm. of your life. What is it?
1: Oh, that's a good one. Um, taco salad. Taco salad.
0: Okay. And just We're not going to hold you accountable to these. So okay, don't good, worry okay. about that.
1: <laughs> uh, if you could be
0: great at any Olympic sport, which is timely, what would it be? Swimming. Okay. What is the most used phone what is the most app? What is the most used application on your phone?
1: Um, the gosh, you know, I used to use this app called trip it cause I was a true road warrior. I mean, I was, I was on the road. I'm not even kidding like 200 days a year. And wow. so I, this app called trip it would, uh, and this is not an ad for trip it. I am in no way compensated by them. <laughs> um, um, it would tell me like, here's the next place you're going. Your, your baggage is going to be at this carousel, et cetera. It was great. It was like having a, um, Oh, that is uh, cool. somebody who knew what your immediate day looked like. Oh, your I haven't used that in, <laughs> it's been two years. Oh, yeah. So, so today amazing? it's like, uh, it used to be Twitter, but it's just such a dumpster fire on Twitter. Oh, my goodness. Um, you know, I think when Twitter was a minute, it was probably like, Oh great. We can see what everyone's thoughts are at any given time of day. And then it turns out that a lot of people have really poisonous thoughts all day. It's a bad and then you don't need that in your life. Um, so, um, pro- you know, it's probably like email or something now. My screen yeah. time is
0: too high. I like, that. I like the trip at one. That was, that, was, that was a good answer. I think that's a really interesting application. So, <laughs> yeah. Mr. Holmes, thank you so much. Really appreciate your time. And for the audience, thanks for listening to today's episode. You can find show notes and other episodes at appgate.com forward slash podcast. And if you're not yet a subscriber, please do subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. This show is a production of AppGate. The opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the hosts and the guests and may not represent the views of their organization. I'm your host, George Wilkes, and you've been listening to Zero Trust 30.
1: Bye, everyone. Thank you, David. That was good. That was good. That was very natural. Good.